Today is our last message in a series of sermons entitled Rethink Jesus. And today we're really going to handle one of the toughest questions. And, and we've tried to really come at the four or five most critical issues that relate to Jesus Christ. The empty tomb, the resurrection. Is it true? What are the evidence for it? And we talked about that three weeks ago. Then we talked about is Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, Messiah, anointed one. Is he truly the son of God? Last week, Clayton talked to you about the son of man so that every time that you read that Jesus referred to himself as the son of man, which is the most common way he referred to himself in the New Testament, you're not thinking about his humanity. You're thinking about his divinity because it goes back to the prophecy in Daniel. I believe it's in chapter 7 where he again identifies himself, clearly claims and asserts his right or his position as God over and sovereign over this universe. Well, today we're going to ask one final tough question. Why Jesus? Is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the only way? Now, you're going to have to really think with me. And uh, a few amens along the way would just encourage me a big bunch so I know that we're with me, all right? From a non-believer's point of view, Christianity is too narrow, you know? It's just, it's just too tight. There are many ways to God besides Jesus, a non-believer would say. From a believer's point of view, it's that if there are other ways to God besides Jesus, then the Bible is wrong and Jesus didn't speak the truth. And so this really is a critical issue for both sides, whether you're a believer or you're a non-believer. And so what I always do, and this is just the way I process and the way I think, I always follow scripture, logic, and evidence, all right? And that's kind of what we've tried to do as we've rethought, I was going to go rethunk, rethought and did some rethinking about Jesus Christ. And so I want us, first of all, to look at three kind of broad truths. The first truth I want us to look at is the truth of logic and evidence. The truth of logic and evidence. Now... First of all, we're going to look at the issue of exclusivity. The issue of exclusivity, ex, that word, all right? Because a lot of times we are branded as people who are intolerant. And it's amazing that the people who are branding us are the ones intolerant of our position, but they say that we're too exclusive. And the idea is that exclusivity has this bad or negative connotation to it. And there is a bad sense, and I grant you that. Discrimination is almost always linked with the concept of exclusivity. I want you to know our church does not believe in, practice discrimination, man. We are open for all people because we want everyone, irregardless of, of social, economic status, race, whatever, we want them to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? All are welcome here. All right? Now, it doesn't mean we accept everything everybody's doing, but we want you to know everybody's welcome here to come and hear the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not against this exclusivity. We are against discrimination, but you're not against exclusivity either. All right? Let me give you a couple examples. For example, when you come to a four-way stop with a car, you're at an intersection... There is one exclusive rule when you come to a four-way stop. It's one rule. It's meant for you in your car at that moment. What is the rule? No, no, what is the rule? Stop. Y'all just went kind of stop, kind of puny, you know. Stop. 
No driving instructor anywhere goes as they're driving a 14-year-old, nine-month person in the car. They don't look at them and go, now, sweetheart, when you come to a four-way stop, we don't want to impinge on your sense of creative development. We don't want to um, stunt your freedom of expression. So when you come to a four-way stop, you just do whatever feels good to you. You just, whatever you feel like doing, you do. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else believes. If you're sincere in what you think when you come to that intersection, it'll be okay. Well, you know that's not going to fly. Because you know when you come to a four-way stop and there's a car on your right and a car on your left and a car directly opposite of you, we are all following one exclusive rule. And the rule is... Stop! Well, for those of us who have flown, we love this thought of exclusivity. The guy in the air traffic controller does not go, all right, flight 4732 out of Detroit, headed to, let's go warm, Orlando, Florida. Just take any way you want to get in the air is fine today. Just choose the route you want to go. By the way, please remind your stewardesses to point to the emergency exits if you do so. They don't do that at all. They give you a specific path, they give you a specific runway, and they give you a specific time in a specific order. That seems pretty exclusive to me. But yet we understand that they have to be exclusive because it provides for our protection and our provision, just like the stop sign, the rule stop, and just like the air traffic controller. Now, let's put it the other way. Let's suppose we're at 35,000 feet flying about 550 miles an hour, and all of a sudden the pilot descends. And the pilot goes, good news, ladies and gentlemen. I've just gotten clearance from the tower in Orlando, Florida, and we can land. And the good news is today I get to land anywhere I want to land. So I know since most of you folks are planning to go to Disney World, I'm going to land this puppy right in a parking lot of Disney World. Well, none of us would go, yeah, all right, we're going, no, 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 no. They're out of the entire hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres that make up an airport, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres that make up an airport. There is one narrow path or strip of, of land that that pilot is exclusively told to land on. So we understand that exclusivity is not a bad thing. You're part of an exclusive. We just don't want people to kind of tell us what we can believe and, and what, we, what we can't believe. See, the, the truth of the matter is we all like this deal of exclusivity to a certain degree. Well, let's examine and challenge the premise that why people don't want us to be exclusive because they will say something like this now look i know you christians believe what you believe about jesus and that's all good and you go and you sing your happy songs and that's all good and 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 you hear the preacher preach and that's all good and you help children in poor countries and that's all good but don't you know because really and here's the key thing that they will tell you we're all going to heaven we're just all getting there different sorts of ways. Right? Because they bought into the, 
the, the kind of the thinking that everybody is, is going to heaven, but the logic and the evidence doesn't follow that. Now, later in the summer, I'm going to really speak and address this issue in another Rethink series. But I do want you to know that there are 12 major world religions. And they're major because of their length of time. They're major because of their, their, uh, um, the population that believes them. Seven out of the 12 do not believe in God at all. They believe in God, nirvana. Uh, liberation, they believe in reincarnation, they believe in a lot of things, ethical value and family. They believe in a lot of things, but they do not believe in God. They believe in self-fulfillment and self-enlightenment. Then you get down to five out of the 12 say that they believe in God. However, two, going from seven to five, two of them would say that they're monotheistic. They believe in theism, one God, but yet in their doctrine, in their tenets, they would say, but... You can believe in anything you want to believe because all paths lead to God. So you got 12 major world religions. Seven don't even allude to a God. Two says, well, there is a God, but any way you choose to get there is fine. There are only three world religions that says that there is a God. One God, not pantheism, many gods, but one God. God, creator, sustainer of the universe. Those three are Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Judaism and Islam say that Jesus Christ is not the son of God. He did not raise from the dead. He did not perform miracles. Yet they will turn around and tell us that this guy is also a good moral teacher. This same man who's a good moral teacher also lied to the world according to their position because he claimed to be the son of God and he clearly from their perspective is not. So then you get down to one world religion. By the way, 11 out of the 12 world religions are work-based. In other words, it's performance-driven. You have to be good enough. If you're good enough, then you are reincarnated. If you have good karma, then you go to a higher level of, of, of living and a higher level of blessing. If you are not quite so good, you come back as a bug. I mean, it's just different, different things. It's all performance-driven. But there is one faith. There is one belief system. Where you don't do the work, God did the work for you. You don't perform, Jesus performed. You don't, you, you, you don't put out to try to impress God, you receive his grace. Do you see the incredible difference between Christianity and every other world religion that's out there? So the evidence says, by their own doctrine, the 12 major world religions, the evidence clearly points that not everybody is going to heaven because A, not everybody or every group believes that there is a God. B, if every, the, the Bible stands opposed to what the other world religions have to say. All right, you got all that? We got to keep going. All right? Then there's the law of non-contradiction. You got to remember 12, 7, 5, 3, and 1. There's the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction simply says this, that if two things claim to be true and they're opposites, one obviously is not true. So in other words, everything cannot be true. All right? Everything cannot be true. Now, there are some things that it's a matter of perspective. 
But everything cannot be true. For example, if I told you today that I'm six foot four, I don't like the laughter in the room. And you look at me and you go, I hear what you're saying. You're saying that's true, but I'm looking at you and what my eyes see is not true. That's the law of non-contradiction. Either you're wrong or I'm wrong, but the fact is one of us has to be wrong. Because we're saying two opposite things about the same truth, and the law of non-contradiction says that. So you follow that? So which one is true? In this thing of, of Jesus Christ, many people admit that Jesus is a way to God, but he simply cannot be the only way to God. Now, Oprah Winfrey, I think, said this, and this is her quote, and, and I'm only quoting her not because she's a theologian, but I think she represents a vast majority of people in our culture today. She said, I believe there are many paths to God or many paths to the light. In other words, she Anything you want to believe is fine. I certainly believe that there is only one way. There's, there couldn't possibly be just one way to God. There couldn't possibly be with the millions of people in the world. Does God care about your heart? Or does God care about if you call his son Jesus? So Oprah has said, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe. There's lots of paths to heaven. See, the thinking goes like this. Everyone who endeavors to be good and, in, and you're sincere, you believe your own ideas about God, it, 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 it's going to work out all right. Because God's big on sincerity and he's big on you being good. And if you're sincere and you're good, then whatever you believe is fine as long as you're good and you're sincere. One of the chief values in our culture today is this thing of sincerity. All right? Let's come to our four-way stop again. Where I have an exclusive rule to stop. If a policeman is behind me and I do not stop, we all know what the policeman's going to do. The policeman's going to pull you over. And you look at the policeman and you go, but sir, I was really sincere. I was really good at driving through that intersection. He's going to say, it doesn't matter. You see, what Ofer wants to do in her comment is take away all objective truth and make everything subjective or relative to whatever you think, whatever you believe, and if you're good enough in what you believe and you're sincere enough in what you believe, and then it's just all going to work out all right in the end. And so people who believe this way use languages like this. All roads take us to heaven. We're all climbing the same mountain. We're just taking different paths to the top. Or people will say everybody's on their own journey, but all good people will arrive at the same destination. It sounds good, but let's think about it. Each statement encourages us to think it doesn't matter what we believe. Any good person will find out it works out all right in the end. Doesn't really matter what you believe. You want to be a Buddhist? Eh, just be a good Buddhist, a sincere Buddhist, and it'll be all right. You, don't, you, you just want to be a kind of an agnostic? Well, be a good agnostic and a good uh, and a sincere agnostic. And it's going to be okay because God loves sincerity and God loves, you know, 
good people. And because most of us don't know our Bibles very well, we go, well, yeah, that's true. Well, he does love sincere people. He loves all people. Fact of the matter is he loves insincere people just as much as he loves sincere people. He loves people who do good and he loves people who don't do good just as much as he loves one or the other. We kind of let people couch the whole argument and we think that, you know, if you're just a good person and you're sincere, then God's a happy camper as long as you just believe. So let's look at this issue of sincerity for just a second. Because in our, in our culture today, sincerity trumps almost everything. And if you're sincere and you sincerely believe what your ideas of God are about and you believe that they're true, then you're going to go to heaven because God's big on sincerity. All you need to be is a good person who's sincere about what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. And man, it's all right and God's a happy puppy. When I was in college, and I went two years to a secular college or a non-biblical college, and it was a very good college, and I enjoyed my, my time there. I went to Wright State University. I had an uh, ethics class, and, uh, and a, well, it was kind of like an ethics kind of slash philosophy class, but I remember this being told in my college class. And it was basically saying Sincerity is the chief value. Beliefs don't matter as long as you are sincere. And it's the story known as the blind man and the elephant. All right? Everybody heard this story? They, they, six blind guys, they take them to an elephant. And they want the blind guys who have never seen an elephant to describe what, they're, what it is that they're touching. So the first one touches the tux. And he goes, that's a spear. The second one touches the the trunk. And he goes, ah, that's a snake. The next man feels the leg and he goes, ah, that's a tree. The fourth guy touches the, and grabs the tail and goes, man, I'm holding a rope. And if any guy I didn't want to be, I wouldn't want to be that guy at the tail end, but that's all right. The fifth guy finds the elephant's ear and he goes, ah, that's a wonderful fan to keep me cool on a hot day. And finally, the last guy pats the elephant's side and goes, Whoa, this big thing is a wall. My professor and the professors that your children will go to school with, for the most part, they'll sit back, they'll use this story to teach how sincere people can reach different conclusions about the same object. Okay? And they'll point to the fact that all six men touching the same object came to, the, came to a different conclusion. What the professor will not tell you And by the way, what he will tell you is that they sincerely believe that one was a spear and one was a trunk and one was a wall and one was a rope and one was a fan and and, and and a tree. And they will tell you that they were sincere. What they will not tell you is that all six of them in the end were wrong. It's not a spear. It's not a rope. It's not a wall. It's an elephant. And my sincerity, as sincere as I am, doesn't change the fact that it's an elephant. And as good as I am, it doesn't change the fact that it's an elephant. And what we do is we value sincerity to the point that it replaces almost anything as long as we're sincere about it. For example, you can really mess up in your marriage. A man has an affair, doesn't realize the emotional violence and and the emotional rape that happens to his wife when he cheats on her and he comes back and he says honey 
I'm sincere, I'm sorry. Well, he may be sincere, but it does not undo the damage that was done. Sincerity is a great characteristic to have, but it does not trump everything. The fact of the matter is, an elephant is always going to be an elephant. Congratulations. You have now passed logic 101. All right? Now, if you're wrong about an elephant, it doesn't really matter. But if you're wrong about Jesus Christ, if you're wrong about Jesus Christ, oh, it matters. It makes an eternal, it it is an eternal matter that makes an eternal difference. And so let's not only look at the truth of logic and evidence as we've kind of deconstructed their argument, let's let's just kind of look at what the, the Bible says. Because listen, if you reach the wrong conclusion about Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how sincere you are, how good you are, or how hard you work. And by the way, a lot of people, even church people, have this philosophy of here's their theology. It's not their philosophy. This is what they believe. They say, okay, God's got this big balance scales, you know. And, and if I do more good things in my life than I do bad things in my life, then I'm going to go to heaven. Right? Somewhere that's kind of built into a lot of us. But that's not what the scripture says. Remember the thief on the cross? That rascal probably had a lifetime of bad and bad and bad and bad and bad and robbing and hurting people and bad and destruction and bad and bad and bad. So bad he is crucified on a cross with Jesus Christ. And then the last thing he does, the only good thing, or one of the few good things he has ever done in his life, with all the bad, he says, you're truly the son of God. In other words, he said, I don't know, I've wasted my life. I'm looking at you, and I'm looking at my life, and I believe in you, Jesus. And Jesus looked at that man who had a lifetime, a lifetime of horrible, wicked living And said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. See, I'm telling you, our faith is not performance driven. It is grace driven. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That if you believe in him, he gives you his grace. He gives you his pardon. He gives you a new start. He gives you new life. He gives you power to overcome your sins and your failures. And that's all from him to you, not you to him. It's a free gift. Man, if I was a Hindu, when I was in India, I asked one. I said, how do you know if you are ever good enough? To go from level this level here to a higher level there. And his answer, and I won't use the Indian accent, but his answer was, you never truly know. And I said, but the Bible doesn't leave us living in fear. It gives us confidence to understand that our faith is true. 
It's not the, it's not the law of non-contradiction, what he says and what he does and what he promises. It is all, all true. So let's see what the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible says there's no one good enough. No, not one. No one good enough. And you will never be good enough. So if you think if you're sincere and you're good, God's just going to say it's all good. When you get to heaven, he's going to be this happy camper about it. Uh-uh. It's not about how good you are and about how sincere you are. The issue that Jesus or God in heaven, when you stand in front of him on judgment day, is not going to be how sincere were you. On a scale of 1 to 10, let me know how sincere you were. On a scale of 1 to 10, let me know how good you were. He's going to ask you one question. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? What did you do with Jesus? I will be able to tell him I accepted him in my heart when I was seven years old. And I have followed him now going on soon be 50 years. That's what I did with your son, Jesus Christ. I followed him and I told others about him and I tried to live the life that he would want me to live. But I received him into my heart. Then Jesus, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you rule over many. And he'll just look towards heaven and says, enter to the joy of the Lord. But there'll be another person. And the other person is going to say, well, you know, I was sincere. I thought Jesus was a good man. I liked his teaching, but I was sincere. I worked hard. I was a good mom. I was a good dad. Really, really, I was a, I was a good dad. Weren't you watching me all those years? You know how good of a dad I was. I'm, I'm sincere. Ooh, I ooze sincerity. But God will go, that's not the question. The question was, is, and always will be, what did you do with Jesus? Because you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. No one's good enough to ever make it to heaven by performing and being good enough to impress God enough to let you into his heaven. So he gave his perfect son, who is good enough. Matter of fact, he's not just good enough. He is more than enough to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. Matter of fact, Jesus would even say it like this. And we're just going to kind of rifle through a bunch of scriptures. But man, write these things down. John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, the life. Remember the logic, the the rule of non-contradiction? He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to God except through me. He follows that up in John 10, verses 1 and 9. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold, and that was kind of like the fence that kept the sheep in, the corral that kept the sheep in at night, except it was made out of rocks and bushes and things like that. Rather than going through the gate, surely he must be a thief and a robber. Yes, I am the gate. You want to come in the sheepfold? I'm the gate. I'm the door. You want eternal life? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. So now you've got to go back to the logic. The logic of non, the logic or the rule of non-contradiction. Jesus said he's the gate. He says he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Other world religions say, nope, don't hold to that. Or you may say, I just think if you're good and sincere, it's all going to work out. You, you have your truth... And God's truth about getting into heaven. Your truth says if you're sincere and good, you go to heaven. 
God says, you got to go through Jesus Christ because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the gate to the sheepfold. If you want to get to heaven, you want to have a relationship with God, the route goes through Jesus Christ. Both truths cannot be simultaneously correct. One is right and one is wrong. Either yours is right and the Bible's wrong or the Bible's right and yours is wrong. Well, look at a couple others. Peter, James, and John. Uh, And I like the paraphrase version that says this. Salvation comes, Acts 4.12. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved. Only this one. Who's he talking about? Oh, man, you back it up to verse 10, verse 8. He is clearly talking about Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, it's not Kirby Church. It's going to get you into heaven. It is not Mike Trimble, Don Myers, Joe Wilson, Clayton Kerr going to get you into heaven. The only way, the only route, the only name that will get you into heaven is not your name, no matter how sincere your name is. Not not your name, no matter how good you are. But it is the name of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. Whoever has the Son, John said, has life. It's eternal life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Man, does it get any clearer than that? You know Jesus. You have this personal relationship with him. You go to heaven. You don't know Jesus. Don't have this personal relationship. Don't care how sincere you are or how good you are. You do not go to heaven. You say, I don't like it. Then change. You. Because you can't change this. Well, let me give you a couple other. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Who is that man? The man Christ Jesus. To understand why this is so, you got to go back to the beginning. An infinite, loving, holy God created all the heavens and the earth. He created man in his own image. And when he created everything, he said it was good. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, were placed in a perfect environment with everything taken care of. They only had one prohibition, one rule, one stop sign. Don't eat of the knowledge of the tree or don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said in Genesis 2.17, lest you die. That was it. They could play football with it. They could, they could look at it. They could whatever, but they could not eat it. But unfortunately, they did eat it. And when they did, it changed everything. It changed everything in the entire world. The the constitution of humanity was changed. So now we were not born pure, or we were not pure in the eyes of God, but we were sinful. The relationship between God and Adam and Eve was broken and can be seen from Adam and Eve's attempting to hide from God. The relationship between Adam and Eve was now tough because... Man, now they're fussing, you know. God says, Adam, you know, where art thou? And he blames her and she's blaming him. And all of a sudden, they never fought before, but sin enters into the world. And now they're fussing. They fuss so much that it carries over to the kids to where one kid kills the other kid. I, I mean, this thing is just like, like cumulative and it just keeps going. The bond between man and nature also was, was, was changed. Nature was created in great perfection. And now the Bible tells us it groans under the weight of sin. The book of Romans tells us, waiting for the day of redemption, when the day the Lord will come back. Man also became separated from himself, and he felt empty and isolated and alone, and something he never experienced before eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the big however in all of this is that God promised to make all of these things right 
And he gave his word that he would send a savior, a messiah. He would, be, he would send a deliverer for the entire creation from the bondage of sin. And that when this savior, when this messiah, when this Christ, when this son of God, when this son of man, when this son of God comes, he will change everything. And he did. In fact, it was God in flesh who came to this word, and God's word did become true. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, John 1, 14 and 29. And Jesus eventually died in our place on the cross in order that we might enjoy again that right relationship with God that he established there in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world into himself, and he hath made himself to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Norvana? Karma? No, in Christ. You see, if you want to have this relationship, it is in Christ, in Christ alone. If you want to go to heaven, it is in Christ and Christ alone. If you want a fresh start in life, it is in Christ and Christ alone. It can't be everything and and whatever you want it to be, no matter how sincere, no matter how good you are. The route to God the Father, the route to a fresh start, or the route to forgiveness of sin, the route to eternal life goes through Jesus Christ. You say, and you're pretty exclusive about that, aren't you? You better be sure we are because that's the only message that will transform your life. Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the way. He did it all. And our responsibility is to accept the fact that it has nothing, we had nothing to do with the work of Jesus Christ, but man, we had everything to do with him. But the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is at the end of the story because he rose again. Amen? Suppose that a group of us were taking a hike in a very dense forest and it was foggy and it's getting later and later at night and we get deeper into the forest and we realize, man, we're lost. And realizing that we took the wrong path somehow, we might, you know might mean we lose our lives as we hear stories occasionally on the news and we begin to be afraid and start to panic. We soon notice that ahead in the distance, the trail splits and there's two human forms at the fork of the road. And running up to the people, we know that one of them is a park ranger in a uniform and he's standing there perfectly healthy and alive while we notice that in the other fork that the guy is dead, lifeless, body decaying. Now the question is, who are you going to ask for advice? Now I know what some of you are saying or thinking. You're going to go, being the good, sincere person I am, I'm going to go check on the dead man first. But I'm going to go talk to the park ranger. Dead man give you no answers. Please understand. Confucius Buddha, no, they're still in their tomb. Matter of fact, they take the trip to Mecca in Islam. They take the trip to Mecca in honor of Muhammad and, and his life and his death. But I want you to understand, if you go to the tomb of Jesus Christ, man, it is empty. 
It is absolutely barren. And we talked about that the first, and you could go back and hear that message, the Easter Sunday message. But I'm just simply telling you again, it's not because Jesus is just another man who was sincere. And he's just another man who was good. He was not just another man. He was fully God, yet became fully man. So you and I, who are sons of men, might one day become sons of God so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could have new life in Christ. Why? Not based on what we do, as Islam and Confucius say, but based on what he's done that we take our stand in Christ and in Christ alone the final truth you need to understand is it's your choice the final truth is it's your choice you, you, you're going to hold on to your view or you're going to choose Christ and Christ alone you see your way to eternal life your way to a fresh start your way to power that overcomes your addictions your struggles your past your sins and your failures is not based on your performance but it's based on Jesus Christ and Christ alone the good news of the Bible is that today right here right now you can choose Jesus Christ you say well what do I got to do you simply respond to his grace to what his love has already done for you. Jesus Christ came to the world as God in flesh. He paid your sin debt for you. And in Christ alone, he was placed in a cold, death-ridden tomb. But it was in Christ alone that he rose again. And now he, and he alone, stands victorious to prove to you and to all the world that he is who he says he is. That his word is what he claims it to be. That he is the son of God and that he is the savior of the entire world. It is Christ alone.